Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today and tomorrow and every other day of your life. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, and my website is known as the Mental Health Gym. I'm also the author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. Rejuvenating is the name of our podcast, and we bring you guests from throughout the world who lead their lives in an enthusiastic way, have interesting things to say about their own stories, and can help you to become the best version of you as you possibly can. And today we're especially fortunate to have someone who not only professionally but personally creates the conditions for personal growth for herself and others. Catherine Knorr is an attorney, an author, a world traveler, and a fitness enthusiast. She lives in Hawaii but enjoys exploring the world at every opportunity. That's not all she enjoys. She enjoys life in general and is a great guest for this podcast. Catherine, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a pleasure to have you with us. It's great to be here, Ron. Thank you. Well, let's get started. I know you've got a lot to say. So the first thing I would like to ask is just a little bit about what you do in the course of a normal day or normal week, because I mentioned being an attorney, being an author, being a world traveler, and I know you do a lot in the fitness area. So it's not like asking somebody who goes to an office every day, doing the same things all the time. How do you spend your days? Well, it depends on the day, but I have the fortune, the good fortune this week of being in my office in Kaneohe, Hawaii. And this week I'm working on my law firm business during the day. I'll go to Zumba in the evening. And then after that, I will work on some projects. I have some writing projects and reading projects. And I'm preparing for an esports law webinar that I'm giving in a couple of weeks in Wisconsin. So I'm doing a lot in preparation for that. So my extra time will be really spent doing that. Terrific. Just so we don't leave anybody behind, some of us grew up before esports was a thing. So while I think I know what you do relative to esports, can you just enlighten us with what is esports? Esports is the most phenomenally increasing industry worldwide right now. It is professional video gaming, if you can believe it. And esports professionals are esport athletes. And it's a really exciting area. And I'm really excited about spending the next year preparing speaking engagements, doing speaking engagements, and doing some research in that area. Oh, wonderful. I mentioned you being an author. What kinds of things do you write about in addition to, I'm sure you do a fair amount of writing and preparing for your presentations, but what about the books? The first book that I have that was published was a textbook called Managing Risk in Sport and Recreation, The Essential Guide for Loss Prevention. 
that's nonfiction. And it's a very lengthy book summarizing the law in 14 different sports. And then after that, in 2016, my legal mystery series that takes place in Hawaii, the first book in that legal mystery series was published. And first book is Land Sharks. Second was Free Will. The third was VO2 Max. And this year, the prequel to that series, Zena West's Diary, it's a YA book that will be published. You know, so that's a really fun legal mystery series. I actually think it's funny, but it depends on if you have a sense of humor or not. And also if you get the inside jokes, which a lot of people don't because they would have to be in the legal profession in Hawaii or be in a triathlete. Otherwise, it's just informative and enjoyable. And then I actually have three books that I'm working on. One is the transcript is almost actually editing the manuscript and that's Kinja World Professional Games. It's a thriller and I'm going to add in a little bit of a pandemic in the mix because I think that's sort of timely and so I'm editing it to add that pandemic. And I have another YA book that I'm working on and a book about being a world traveler at any age. Well, we're going to get into that, I'm sure, because <laughs> that, that can be real helpful for some in our audience. But your description of this stuff makes it almost sound like you've got to be at a desk most hours of the day. And yet I know that you have a very strong interest in fitness personally, not just writing about it or litigating about it or things of that nature. Can you tell us a little bit about Number one, what kinds of things you do to stay fit? And number two, your journey in this area. I'm sure that there are some listeners who are naturally couch potatoes. And I actually think that I am. But fortunately, I, I feel very fortunate because when I was nine years old, I became a competitive swimmer. And I actually did dabble in a lot of sports. Like I played basketball for about three years in junior high and high school and volleyball, different things growing up. But the swimming was the big thing. And then in law school, I started running in a lot of races and that became kind of an obsession. Then my, my trainer at a gym told me I should be a triathlete because I seemed to be like quite the swimmer and runner. So I, I had never really been a, a cyclist, so I started triathlon despite my kind of reservations about it and became really obsessed with that. And that became a, a very long kind of period where swimming and biking and running were the most important things in my life and got involved in the officials program. I was regional coordinator of officials and did a whole bunch of things for USA Triathlon. Then I had a really bad accident. I fell off a cliff training on the bike in Maui, fell off a hundred and actually a 280 foot cliff. I went in the air about 30 feet, landed on my wrist and my knee, was too scared to bike again. So I quit triathlon, quit biking, and then ran kind of obsessively for a while until my hips kind of didn't want to do that anymore. And then I found myself walking a lot. And then walking, 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 but never losing a pound. I swam, but mostly walked everywhere. I would walk for three hours at a time and never could lose a pound. And I would whine about that. And 
my friends told me that I needed to get in the gym and do classes, that that would be the answer to all of this. And I procrastinated on that for a long time. And a couple years ago, I decided that when a friend asked to work out with me, I said, okay, we could go to classes and started doing that. And my attitude was no excuse. I have to go like, there's no excuse. I have to go. So I would do Zimba combat, actually called body combat, body pump and cycle. And I did classes like every day that I could, unless I had a really legitimate excuse like work found out that I really liked Zumba after I went to a few teachers. I like their style. And now I'm doing Zumba about five times a week. And then I do body combat about once a week and still didn't lose a pound. And then recently made big changes to my diet. And now I'm losing weight finally. So that's my journey. (laughs) That's fantastically interesting. Uh, the combination of exercise and diet is kind of the magic key, I guess, to losing weight as well as feeling better. But as you were talking, I'm thinking about a number of patients that I see who, well, I think the world is kind of divided into two different kinds of people. There are those who, if they don't go to the gym, will feel worse for not going to the gym. And there's another group of people who don't test it out, but just assume they're going to be hurting more, they're going to be worse, they're going to be embarrassed. If they do, doesn't necessarily have to be an actual gym, but if they do something physically that's somewhat demanding. And I'm wondering, you said that by nature you, you think you're a couch potato. I'm not sure that the science would, would support that, but assuming that that's correct, what is it do you give yourself a mantra? Have you reached a point where you just don't think about not working out, whatever workout you're doing? Or what advice can you give to somebody who isn't thrilled about the notion of it, but knows it's healthier for them? I think a lot of people are afraid. I think if they really look into what the problem is, it's fear. Their fear of oh, how it looks or be embarrassed or like not fitting in or whatever. And a lot of it is like the first time you go, you know, even putting your shoes on is like a big deal (laughs) and then actually getting there. And even if you like only commit to 20 minutes, I think that's enough to kind of get over that hump and stay the whole time. What I've observed in these group classes, and I have to say that I was totally against group classes before. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought, what are these people doing? What a waste of time. You know, it's not even competitive. They're not even competing against each other. And it seems so silly and I felt uncomfortable. But if you go with a friend, that helps. And the other thing too is I notice that the people in the classes, sometimes they're like these people that don't even really do the moves at all. Like they just are in the back and they're kind of like, like I'm doing, I'm trying really hard to get these dance moves down and they're like, might move their arm in some weird way. And that's kind of it. And they're not doing like really at all what everyone else is doing, but I give them like a ridiculous amount of credit because they're there and they're moving a little bit. They're moving more than they would if they were sitting on the couch. And I really got into it. Once I discovered that the morning classes, I wasn't really meeting people and wasn't really, it wasn't a community to me. It was just 
going in the morning so that I wouldn't have an excuse later on in the day. But then when I went to a few night classes and I really started getting to know the women and we have a group of about seven women that we really connect with and it kind of like we get to know everyone in the class, we get to know the instructor and we we actually text each other all the time. And as I've developed the community, I no longer need this thing where I have to do it in the morning. I can do it at night and I won't have an excuse because I want to go and I want to see my friends and I want to have fun with them. So that's how it kind of evolves. Like first you have to make yourself and then it gets to the point where you want to go. I think the really or a really good thing about the classes is that so many of them, uh, whether it be Zumba, yoga, Pilates, and so on, they're not really competitive. In other words, you're really working for yourself. And I think when you mm-hmm. talk about a community, classes tend to evolve into a supportive community, assuming that you've got a good instructor and you're committed to going, you know, on a regular basis. So I think it's, aside from the fact that for many people, that's a great entree to doing physical stuff, it also is helpful from not having to be embarrassed, not being competitive, and so on. Correct. Where did the world traveling part of your life come from? (laughs) You mentioned the fitness started at age nine, Presumably, traveling started a little later, but how did that enter your life, and how do you use it? How do you decide where you're going? And after all that working out, do you go to beaches and relax, or do you go sightseeing? Or how, Tell us a little bit about that part of your life. My travel bug really started in my, probably my 30s. I realized I was working for a law firm and I realized, oh, wow, I could actually take a vacation. I never could when I was in law school and, you know, trying to struggle paying for my education. So I was always working and going to school. And it wasn't until I worked at a law firm and there was a week or two vacation that we could take. And then I took a couple vacations going to the U.S. and finally got to go to Europe. And that was pretty interesting. And then it sort of sparked the interest of traveling in the world. But I did a few really interesting trips, like a trekking trip to Patagonia. And I did a bike trip to Morocco. And those were kind of my first expedition travel trips. And after that, I started speaking at conferences. And I would try to get conference opportunities in different parts of the world. And that kind of led to this more exploration. And then I found out that I could get cheap airfare places. So it's more of a game of how can I go from Honolulu to the most intriguing place for the cheapest amount of money. And I'm only really talking about airfare, maybe not so much hotel. I'd probably say my record low round-trip ticket from Honolulu to a foreign land was from Honolulu to Paris for $177 round-trip. Last year, I went from... I actually now usually have to get a flight from San Francisco or LA to Europe. But I got a Dublin trip from San Francisco last year for $500. And 
a trip to Oslo, Norway for $450 from San Francisco. If I can find something cheap, I usually will use that as a way to check out a place, unless it's like a speaking engagement. I hadn't really expected to, to go in that direction, but that, that's actually <laughs> something. Can you give some advice to, to others who may be interested? How do you go about finding these, these fairs? I know how much normal fares are to Europe. Actually, from Hawaii, typical airfare round trip will be around $1,400 to $1,600, and that's pretty, pretty darn expensive. What I've done is done some research to find out how you can find this out and like where the cheap deals are. And I paid like, I don't know, $25 or something per year to Scott's Cheap Travel. And I get emails every day of the cheap airfares from that site. And I'm trying to get a million miles on United. And if I get a million miles on United, then I will be gold for the rest of my life for me and my my significant other. And the unfortunate thing is I'm at like 890,000 miles and I have a bit more to go, but it has to be United. It can't be a code share partner. And once I get that, then I can travel on code share partners and then I'll have a lot more opportunity to increase that. So it's, it's kind of a fun game. And, you know, that's kind of what I've been playing around with for the last year. It sounds like that $25 investment has paid for itself many times over. Correct. (laughs) And in discussing this, you talked about going places and doing speaking. Can you tell us a little bit about your speaking career? What kinds of things you speak about? We may have some people listening who may be in a position to offer you something, but we got to know what you talk about. I've done a lot of academic conferences where I've talked about sports risk management. And I tend to talk about the Olympics risk management. And that tends to be something I like to talk about or a professional athlete risk management. However, I have been hired as a keynote speaker on sports risk management or litigation in sports or triathlon, different things. And I do, I volunteer locally to talk about golf risk management or Olympic risk management. Those tend to be it, but I'm shifting to esports and esports law. And I'll be talking about esports law and then teamwork as it relates to businesses and esports to help esports athletes increase their teamwork skills and also teach businesses about how they can use esports teamwork principles to help their younger employees. So those are kind of my areas that I tend to speak about. And since we have a general audience and I try to stay conscious of terms that may not be familiar to all, what is sports risk management? Sports risk management is basically managing risk in that area, decreasing liability or decreasing hazards. Like for example, actually it's such a broad area. There are a lot of potential hazards in sports where people could trip and fall. People could get hurt on the field as a player. Actually, if you're sitting in the stands at a baseball game, you could be hit by a ball or drafting liability waivers for 
a sports organization that players have to sign. Like if you're running a race, you're usually going to have to sign a liability waiver before you're allowed to run the race. That helps put it in perspective. And I know uh, there are many sports that can be dangerous, but where things can be done, like better helmets when, when people play football and setting up higher screens and longer screens so that foul balls are less likely to, to enter an area and so on. So it's good to know that there are people like you who are working on it and helping teams to lessen the risk to both the players and spectators alike. One of the things that I like about you in general is the way that you approach things with enthusiasm. Have you always been, were you like the bubbly kid when you were growing up? Where's the enthusiasm come from? Was it role modeled in the family or where's it come from? I'm an introvert, but more of an introvert extrovert where I can rise to the, you know, I can, I can communicate with people, but I'm the type of person who would be reading a book. But I am really ambitious and creative and combining those two very strong traits that I have those are the traits that lead me to do what I do because I'm always wanting to do something creative, whether it's taking pictures when I travel or writing something creative or doing something creative business-wise. And I'm always wanting to achieve. So combine those things and that makes me enthused. And one of the areas that we haven't even mentioned, just like you're appearing on my podcast, you do have your own TV show, I believe, that's live streamed. And what's that all about? That's Think Tech Hawaii. Actually, what happened there is I was interviewed by another host on, I think it was, I can't remember what we talked about, probably sports risk management. And then I had a few people that medical professionals really wanted to be on the show. And I inquired about that. And then they said, well, do you want to interview them? And I said, sure, I can do that. Why not? Okay. I interviewed one of them and they said, oh, you're a natural. And they gave me my own show and it's called Much More on Medicine. I've had that show since maybe last September. And I interview people about medical issues or health issues or insurance issues. And it's been a lot of fun. Wonderful. And I am wondering just in terms of, as, as you may know, while we have a general audience, we do have quite a percentage of people who are reaching or in the second half century of life, some of whom are working, some of whom are retiring, so on. Do you have any particular attitude with respect to how people can be most productive in what I call rejuvenating, growing older with enthusiasm? Well, I'm not even thinking about retirement, I'm kind of not interested in it. I'm interested in actually the next 10 years really growing my esports business and speaking business and continuing my law practice, which I enjoy as well. And I think if you look at what you enjoy doing and try some new things, like how I, you know, was not a real Zimba person, and I always kind of scoffed at it, and then 
jumped in and after about a year decided I really like doing this. I think there's always some new things you can try. And, you know, I plan to do that for the rest of my life. As long as I can move my eye in order to do something with a computer, I'm going to be active doing things. I'm sure you will be. The approach to aging kind of varies, but we do know that novel activities, if you're always learning new things, you're doing all the things that are are real appropriate to try and maximize your potential as all of us are aging. In other words, you're keeping your body active, your mind active, you're involved with others, and I don't know anybody that, that does a better job of increasing their odds of continuing to function just as long as you're around and choosing to do so. Well, I've got a couple of other questions, but one that I should have asked earlier, when you said you changed your diet and that's helped with weight losses, there are particular either diet that you're following or general principles that you're using that something that you can share with others. Okay. I don't like the word diet because I think it's ridiculous. I think that the way you eat is a better way to say it, like your eating habits are a better way to say it because I don't believe in having a short-term change. I believe in a long-term everyday, you know, kind of philosophy and habit situation And when I went to a trainer and she wanted me to do this particular diet, I was kind of reluctant, but I was so frustrated with some recent weight gain that I said, okay, I'll look at it. And I was able to adjust what I was doing already because I was already eating healthy. But all I had to do was really adjust it very little in order to lose weight. And what I did, it's basically eating clean. And I have a smoothie in the morning, which has every nutrient you can imagine, heavy on the kale and spinach and stuff like that. Then for lunch, because I really like to just go to Starbucks and I have egg white bites, but there was one thing that I refused to give up. And that was my non-fat hot chocolate, no whipped cream, no foam, extra hot. (laughs) And she said, it's okay, but I'll have carrot sticks with it. And instead of having like an energy bar, I have 10 almonds and I'll have muscle milk, the hundred calorie diet muscle milk for a snack. And for dinner, I have like a very small portion, like broccoli, brown rice, and a lean protein, and maybe a a muscle milk before I go to bed. And what I did is I gave up a bunch of sugary energy bars that I would have as snacks. I gave those up. I stopped goofing around with like munching on popcorn at night or or having like a superfood parfait, which was kind of a lot of sugar. So I kind of gave up some sugar And in return, I'm having a lot of change in my body. And I think sometimes it just means you have to adjust a few things that you do and not everything. Yes. And in addition to the foods, I know at the mental health gym, we don't call it a diet either, but we call it the mental health gym diet lifestyle. And just making some behavior changes, such as making water the go-to drink most of the day, just being able to know that 
if you're going to eat something, you eat it in a place that's designed for eating. You don't have something out in front of the TV or so on. If you're taking a snack that you wrap it up, put it back so that you consciously have to go back and take it if you're going to, as opposed to having it readily available. And people learn that you don't miss it once you change things. It's, again, kind of like going to the gym. If you go on a regular basis, it's not an ordeal or anything that you argue with yourself about. So anyway, we've learned a whole lot from you. I'm sure that listeners will want to know how to reach you, how to find out about your books. As I said, maybe there's planner or two who's looking for the ideal speaker. How do people reach you and where can they see other things that you do, such as your TV show? I am all over the internet. You just have to Google me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm everywhere. (laughs) And if you Google my name, you will be able to find me very easily. Great. And we'll have that in the show notes, including how you spell your name, because it's a little bit different for Catherine, isn't it? There's Catherine Hepburn style. Won't be hard to find, but the uh, show notes will contain everything. And we are so grateful to you, Catherine, for being part of this and to help people rejuvenate, grow older with enthusiasm, regardless of what age they are. You've been a tremendous role model as well as a mentor in terms of helping other people to do this. Keep leading your life the way that you are. I'm sure you'll do it for a good long time. So this has been Rejuvenating, the Rejuvenating podcast, where we emphasize enthusiasm in the way that you approach every day of your life. This has been Ron Kaiser. Again, my website is www.thementalhealthgym. Always happy to hear from you with your own ideas and questions and even suggestions for future podcast guests. I hope that you will listen and subscribe to our podcasts, rate it, and make any comments that can be helpful in spreading the word about rejuvenating. So in closing, I want to once again thank Catherine Knorr for such a wonderful presentation, being such a wonderful guest, and leading your life in such a wonderful way. And to the listeners, we'll see you at the next podcast.